You're listening to the Live Well Radio Podcast Show. A wealth of information for a life of inspiration. And here's your host, Brett Coleman. Hey guys, today is Ask the Therapist Thursday. And I have the great pleasure of sitting down with physical therapist Ty Harper at his state-of-the-art facility here in Anthem, Arizona, Harper Physical Therapy. Today, Ty's going to come on the podcast and join us and give us the 10 top reasons uh, why physical therapy can be so beneficial. So Ty, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for having me on today. Great. Thank you for taking the time to share some insight and knowledge with our listeners. It's much appreciated. How long have you been practicing PT, physical therapy? Um, I've got my license in 2002, and we opened our practice here in Anthem in, uh, I'm sorry, I got my license in 2000, and we opened our practice here in 2002. About 16 years. Mm -hmm. So at what age did you know that physical therapy was going to be your lifelong calling, your career? Um, Early on in college, I was interested in sports and and kind of had a a feel for wanting to get into the medical field as well. Um, So I was kind of looking at athletic training. And as I kind of got into my studies, I kind of came across physical therapy. um, And it just, it was a good fit for my personality. And I kind of started going down that track. So I want to ask you more about this a little bit later on in the interview. But for right now, do you consider physical therapy a passion? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a great uh, career. You get to meet a lot of great people. You get to help them uh, improve not only their function, get them some pain relief, um, get them back to their sport or get them back to their job. So people are genuinely appreciative of of what we do. Um, And it's something different every single day. Even if you're dealing with the same injury, two different people react different. They have different pain tolerances. Um, So it's really, it's a nice environment to, to do something fresh each and every day. That's neat. So let's talk about these top tens. Uh, the top 10 on the list I came up with. So physical therapy reduces or eliminates pain. Mm -hmm. I like to say if you have any issues uh, with either pain or function, that's what we work on. So um, we come in, we do a formal evaluation of what you're dealing with, uh, whether it's pain, limited range of motion, limping, that type of stuff. Um, And then through tests and measures, we actually come up with a diagnosis, uh, what's causing your issues. And then we develop a customized treatment plan for you um, for those issues and designed to get you back to your specific work or your sport or your your recreational activities. And on staff, do you have massage therapists refer out to chiropractors, acupunctures as all part of the protocol at some times? Yeah, we work with all different practitioners. Um, in the state of Arizona, physical therapy is a direct access state, meaning that anyone can walk in off the street and be treated by a physical therapist. Uh, the catch to that is sometimes your insurance requires you to have a doctor's prescription to pay for the services. Um, so we help people identify that uh, right when they come in on their first visit, um, interact or work with their primary care physician or their ortho- orthopedic doctor or if they're seeing a chiropractor. Um, So yeah, we work hand in hand with those other professions to kind of get them the care that they need. Uh, We do have a massage therapist on staff that does by appointment massages. So it's kind of nice to be able to visit with her um, about a patient's situation or their issue because sometimes people are concerned about going to a massage therapist because they don't want to hurt themselves based on their injury or or that kind of stuff. So it's nice to be able to um, cohabitate or interact with those other professionals and, and be able to talk about that patient um, so when they go to have their massage, they're getting the best, you know, the massage they can possibly get. Yeah. And so you've been doing this long enough. Is back pain on top of that list the most popular 
Um, it varies. I mean, back pain, yeah, they say as much as 80% of the population will have back pain in some point in time in their life. Um, but we see a huge gamut of patients from neck pain, back pain, work injuries, uh, post-surgical issues like hip replacements, knee replacements, uh, a lot of adolescent kids, sports injuries or weekend warrior type injuries, sprains and strains, that kind of stuff. So again, it kind of gets back to that variety that I was talking about and, and it kind of what makes it so fun and, and different on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And I, I guess people are listening to this, asking themselves, what can they do to prevent injury as far as lower back, neck, knee? I know sports, you're, you're more vulnerable we, we can talk about that in a second, but the everyday guy, everyday woman who's going through their daily routines and wants to kind of add a little preventative measure, would you recommend? Yeah, absolutely. I have a, also a background in strength and conditioning. Um, I have a certification as a, cert, a strength and conditioning specialist. Um, and so with that regard, the best thing you can do is get with somebody that has a little bit of education, whether it's a physical therapist or a personal trainer at a gym um, or a um, a personal training facility or a studio so they can kind of help not only evaluate your level of function um, but also get you on the right track to get towards where you want to go with your specific sport or activity the biggest thing that causes injuries is people are motivated exercise is fabulous and they want to jump in and do what they thought they could do in their 20s and they usually hurt themselves so I usually tell people you know if you're gonna play tennis you just got to make sure that you can side shuffle and run and stop and back pedal and reach overhead and do rotation quickly otherwise when you try to do those activities you're going to end up hurting yourself. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Ken, do you think that stretching is more important the older we get? Yeah, stretching's kind of um, gotten a little controversial over the years. They used to recommend doing just long, slow, prolonged static stretching. And um, a lot of the sports strength teams have gotten away from that a little bit. Um, they find that before activity, you want to do what they call a dynamic functional warm-up, do some light stretches, go through some motions that simulate the, the activities that you're going to be performing in the sport at half speed, working up to full speed, and then actually go play the sport. If you're going to do long, sustained stretches, they recommend doing it after you're warmed up, so maybe after activity. Uh, when your body temperature is warmed up, you've, you're sweating and you're kind of already loose, uh, then you'll get the bigger benefits out of the, the stretching rather than doing it when you're cold before the event. Yeah, I was a trainer for many years. I heard it likened to a rubber band. If the rubber band is cold, uh, it's more bound to snap than if it was warmed up. Yeah, that makes good. That's a good anal- analogy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the next one on the list is a possible preventative for surgery. Um, so yeah, a lot of times, um, again, this gets back to insurance requirements a little bit, um, with post-surgical stuff or pre-surgical stuff that you used to recommend physical therapy quite frequently. Um, but a lot of times you have limited visits or limited, um, benefits with your insurance carrier. So we need those for obviously after surgery. So a lot of that has kind of gone by the wayside over the years, but it's extremely beneficial to work on your range of motion or your, your coordination or your strength prior to going into surgery, uh, because it just makes things easier. You recover quicker when you get out you just have to deal with less after the, the trauma of the surgery itself. But are you seeing a lot of knee and hip surgeries that would that be in the top of the list? Um, hips, knees, shoulder, rotator cuff repairs, um, fracture care. Uh, we see a lot of, um, Achilles tendon ruptures. I mean, really it's, uh, it's, those are probably the most popular ones, but we see a huge variety of all different types of injuries. So when does somebody know, Ty, that surgery is inevitable? Like, is it based on a tolerance of pain? I know when the doctor maybe doesn't examine the surgeon does an examination and says, yes, you've torn something, but. Do they have an option at that point to say, hey, I can live with this pain? 
Yeah, usually it goes one of two tracks. Usually when somebody has an injury, um, they'll either go directly to their primary care doctor and get referred to an orthopedic doctor and get looked at by them. Uh, at that point in time, it usually goes in one of two directions. If the orthopedic doctor thinks it's something serious enough that you're possibly going to need surgery, a lot of times he'll just go ahead and order the, the imaging studies, the diagnostic MRIs, x-rays, that kind of stuff, um, and then go ahead and just move forward with surgery if it's, if it's a severe um, issue. If he's kind of on the fence or thinks it might be able to manage it with conservative physical therapy, a lot of times they'll just send you to therapy and say, let's try you know three to four weeks of therapy. Let's see how it goes. Uh, because they know if, if you're responding well to therapy, then we're going to continue and just get you better and not have to go the course of surgery. And if you're struggling and not responding well to physical therapy, they know we're going to send them back to them. Um, and at that point in time, they can do an MRI or you know injections or talk about a surgical repairs, that type of stuff. That brings me to my next question, a meniscus. Uh, my dad back in Michigan just called me the other day and said he, he, his knee was swollen. He was on an elliptical machine, and his knee got pretty swollen, and he went to see his therapist. And the therapist says, uh, if I were a vet man, I would say it's uh, something to go on with the meniscus. Mm -hmm. Then he said, why don't you try this first? Two weeks, take ibuprofen, and if that doesn't help, then go get yourself an MRI, and then you go, go from there. But he says if it's not intolerable, then you may not need surgery. Same advice you might give somebody? Yeah. When it comes to meniscus tears, they can be a little bit tough. So the meniscus is just a piece of cartilage that sits between the two bones in the knee. Um, and it can get worn. I like to use the analogy with my patients of almost like driving your car with your tires out of alignment. It starts to wear things funny. Okay. So when your knee's a little bit loose, the alignment's not quite right. And you start to wear those pieces of cartilage and they get frayed or they get little tears. Um, they can get inflamed. When that happens, um, it causes catching, locking, popping in the joint. It causes some swelling, knee soreness, that type of stuff. Um, so a lot of times, again, we'll start with conservative therapy, see if we can get the swelling to calm down, restore their range of motion, and then build not only the strength, but more their knee stability. Because if we can restore the mechanics of the knee, um, similar to, again, putting air in the pressure of your tires or realigning the tires, it helps them wear more equally. Then all of a sudden you get less stress on that part of the knee and your symptoms will start to go down. Um, the hard thing with uh, digital imaging studies for the, the knee and specifically meniscus is, is the meniscus is kind of like a hangnail. Hangnails are painful because you're always catching them on, on objects. When you clip them off, they're totally fine. So same thing with your meniscus. It's a little flap of, flu or of tissue that's floating around in the knee. Um, and so when your knee gets in the right angle, it catches it and it pulls on it and causes that sharp twinging sensation. Um, so what they do is they go in there and arth arthroscopically just shave off the little um, tear, basically, um, or the hangnail, if you will, and that doesn't catch anymore. And so then you have the relief and you can kind of move on. So yeah, a lot of times they do try to manage them conservatively unless, again, it's a big meniscus tear, your knee's locking up, or there's something obviously that you're having trouble straightening your knee or putting weight on it. And then the doctor will just move forward with the imaging studies or possibly surgery. But typically they try conservative therapy first. And on your list uh, of exercises to try to get that meniscus, the swelling to go down, certain exercises that work better than others in your experience? Yeah, I would say more, not certain exercises, but more certain stages of rehab, meaning that early on, we don't want to work on strength where it's already inflamed. It's just going to make things worse, right? So early on, we want to work on getting the swelling down. So using anti-inflammatories, using ice, using rest, using what I call vascularization exercises, which is simply blood flow like a bicycle or knee movement without overstressing the tissue. Once the swelling starts to calm down and the pain starts to resolve, then we kind of shift gears to restoring range of motion 
motion. Uh, once they have good mobility, then we ease into the strengthening. And as they start to get a little stronger, then we move towards function, getting them back to where they can tolerate walking or going steps or back to the activities they want to do. If they want to play tennis or golf, then we need to start working in that direction. Okay, so great. That's a great answer and great information for everybody listening. Where's the hangnail go at that point? Does it ever go away? So um, when you have the biggest risk of having a small meniscus tear is, yeah, getting a bigger one. So just like a little tiny hangnail, if you don't do anything for it, you usually catch it on stuff and it tears a little more and a little more. Um, so in the, the meniscus is a piece of cartilage that basically pads the, the femur from the tibia or the two bones in the knee joint. And so, yes, the risk is you just get a little bigger tear. Um, when that happens, usually it catches more frequently or you have a little more swelling. And so, you know, usually one of two things happens is we either strengthen up the knee and restore the mechanics and they do fine because the knee's not loose and it's not catching anymore. So yes, you still do have the little meniscus tear in there, but your knee's more stable. Or if your knee stays loose and sloppy, it's going to catch periodically and tear a little more, and it's going to become more painful and more swelling more frequently, and they get tired of that, and that's what leads them to the orthopedic doctor. Look at you, Ty. It's perfectly said. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so then the top three causes of meniscus tears, like I know my dad didn't do an elliptical. Mm -hmm. He's a golfer. I think that maybe the elliptical maybe aggravated it, and it, the knee was swollen to the size of a loaf of bread. But prior to that, there had to be some injury, and this maybe just kind of uh, put the icing in the cake. Yeah, I'll, I'll take you back to the analogy of the car with the tires out of the alignment. Usually it's a gradual wear and tear situation. The knee's a little loose from being stretched out over time or a little bit of arthritis in the knee. And so, again, just repetitive walking and movements of that knee and the alignment not quite being perfect just wears on that cartilage, and ultimately it leads to a, a little tear. You can have a specific event, absolutely. If you plant and twist on your leg uh, like a football or a soccer injury, you can definitely pinch that cartilage. Or if you get impacted by somebody and your knee's in a wrong position, you can tear your meniscus. Um, so we see probably half and half. Probably the younger people, a lot of times it's more singular events um, that they plant and cut and twist something running um, and then you feel more of an immediate sharp pain you know immediate swelling they know they did something to their knee the other people that come in they just have general swelling and have knee, had knee soreness that have been in, just increasing over the last six to eight months usually it's a wear and tear event so makes sense so we kind of covered mobility in that answer as well let's talk about the recovery from a stroke how do you play a part in that yeah, um, stroke recovery, in, in our aspect, we do outpatient physical therapy. So we do help with neurological conditions, uh, including stroke, spinal cord rehab, that kind of stuff. Um, but we try to kind of screen those patients. And what I mean by that is if we're working on mobility type stuff, balance, walking, transfers, we can definitely help them um, as, much as, um, as much as they need. If they're very low-level strokes, like they're still working on um, – range of motion, bed mobility, feeding, dressing, those type of things. A lot of times they're not quite ready for the outpatient environment. And so sometimes they can benefit more from like a therapist coming to their house, working on home health or a rehab hospital that where they have a little more, not more time, but more time to spend with them working on those basic activities of, of daily living. So. All right. And then recovery from or prevent sports injuries. Yeah, as far as preventing sports injuries, that kind of gets back to the sports training. Um, we do a little bit of sports training here. Again, I'm a certified strength and conditioning specialist, so I can definitely help people with that, um, either pre-injury or after post-rehab if they're wanting to get back into a sport, taking them from kind of the physical therapy stage back into sports conditioning and getting them back ready. Um, but as far as preventing injuries, it's really just a matter of doing the training ahead of time. So your training activities are a little more strenuous or as strenuous as the events you're going to perform. So you're ready for it. 
Cool. Now, diabetes, running rampant, becoming an epidemic in our country. The reason, uh, in your opinion, has a lot to do with what? Well, to me, it's our lifestyle and of society, basically. It's our diet. It's our lack of exercise um, as a society in general. Um, our diets tend to get more fatty and more sugary. Um, we are exercising less and less as a population. And so I think that's a trend that kind of leads to some of these diabetes and, and those type of, of disease processes. So um, in our aspect, we don't really treat specifically diabetes, but it's definitely a comorbidity that we have to look at with each and every patient. Um, if I'm exercising somebody for a hip replacement and they have diabetes, I need to know how their sugars and how they're going to react to exercise um, so I don't overstress them or so we can kind of address that. And part of that is just educating them on um, eating properly before they come into exercise and, and some of those things, uh, things to watch for when they're going through exercise, if they're getting a little low on their sugar, um, communicating with us and, and that type of stuff. In your years of doing physical therapy, have you seen an increase of diabetes with your patients? Um, I don't think I've ever tracked it specifically. I mean, I think in general as society, it might be going up a little bit for those reasons that we just discussed, but um, not necessarily specifically for our patients, uh, but again, I don't really focus on the, that disease process. I'm more focused on their injury or what their, their ailment is. So, so you wouldn't know what percentage of your patients have diabetes? I do not, no. Yeah, because one out of 10 Americans do have it. So. Yeah. And I think what you just said makes a lot of sense. You know, lifestyle choices, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Next on the list, manages age-related issues. How does it play a part in that? Well, um, we work with the, the aging society. I mean, we're all getting older each and every day. Uh, fortunately, the, I think um, elderly people are wanting to get a little bit more active. Um, there's a lot of people that are wanting to exercise longer and stay active even as they're aging and, and growing older in their years. So in our respect, it fits hand in hand with physical therapy, not only getting them in shape to prepare for those activities, uh, but dealing with their small sports injuries, educating them on how to uh, perform stretches like we talked about or perform um, conditioning before their events and that, and that type of stuff. So a lot of our expertise is based on education too, teaching people what to do ahead of time and then getting them to understand the rehabilitation process so they kind of know um, why they're coming into physical therapy, what stage of rehab we're in and our ultimate goal. Uh, because if they understand the goal and where they're at and why we're doing what we're doing, they get better faster, they have better outcomes, and they, they move on and get back to life in their sport. So let's talk about the age bracket 70 plus. Uh, we can focus maybe on the baby boomers. You have probably a, a good amount of those. Yeah, ours is a good mixture. Like I say, we have kids as young as high school kids. Um, I've had some infants that we've treated for um, what we call torticollis or stiff neck syndrome when they come out of the womb and they have a kink neck. Um, middle age, weekend warriors, the working population. But yeah, we see a, a good chunk of people in their geriatric years as well um, that are both active and that are both inactive. So yeah, we see a lot of those. And my question about this was, is there a separation of the people who are older in the geriatrics age category uh, that have been active their entire lifestyle? Do they heal quicker than the ones who haven't been? I think so. Absolutely. I mean, exercise is, is an amaz amazing medicine and you can definitely tell people that are active and that focus on their diet and try to live a healthy lifestyle. They do recover quicker from surgery. They do feel better. They're thinner. They have more what I call lean muscle mass. Um, they're not as overweight. Um, so absolutely, they do respond quicker and, and recover better and have generally better outcomes. 
So that's what I was wanted to get at, because if we can look at the people who are recovering quicker uh, in their older years, success leaves clues. I've heard that before. And you can't emphasize enough to take care of your body along the way. Yeah, it pays dividends. It really does. It's um, you see people that have had a not so healthy lifestyle and you see they, they struggle and you know, whether it's smoking or obesity, I mean, those all play a factors in just getting through your life as, as you get older and what you're able to tolerate as far as walking and your activity endurance and just your quality of life. So yeah, we see that each and every day. I bet you do. Scoliosis was not on that list. Uh, so what can PT offer uh, in, as far as treatment goes for certain stages of scoliosis? Yeah, PT is um, very effective in not only screening for, for scoliosis, usually they do it in the adolescent years, usually somewhere in the junior high years um, is where the nurse or physical therapist will get involved looking at um, student's spine um, and assessing the, the curvature. Scoliosis is simply a curvature of the spine. Um, and as if it gets curved too much, it can cause problems pressing on organs or your lungs. It can affect your breathing. Um, it can cause constant back pain. There, there's just issues with it with that. And so screening is an early on process. And if you find that there is a curvature, typically the doctors will x-ray it. They measure the curvature and they monitor it on an annual basis. Um, and as long as it's not increasing rapidly, they just monitor it. Uh, mild scoliosis, you can do absolutely fine and function without any issues with if it starts causing issues with breathing organs or pain, that kind of stuff, typically that's when we'll get involved formally. The doctor will send them to physical therapy. Um, and basically, if you imagine kind of a, a boomerang, the inside of the curve gets really tight, the tissue, the outside of the curve tends to get really stretched and, and a little bit weak. And so we design a treatment program to counteract um, those curvatures, basically strengthening the weak side and stretching the tight muscles. Um, and that helps alleviate their pain. And then we start again, working on strengthening and then into function. And then our ultimate goal is to give them a home program to continue managing it on their own. Um, because with scoliosis, it's a kind of a lifelong process until they stop growing. Uh, once you get through the growth years and it kind of starts to, to calm down. Um, but our goal is to kind of prevent it from increasing, um, and even counteract that curvature a little bit. Um, if we struggle and scoliosis is too powerful and they're, they're not responding well to conservative treatment, um, then again, they meet with an orthopedic doctor and there are some surgical techniques that they can actually fuse the spine or basically lock them down to, to straighten the spine back up and prevent the curvature from progressing. Is there a specific cause for scoliosis? Uh, there's lots of different causes out there. Um, I, I can't give you any specific ones, but genetics play a good role. Um, posture plays a, a big role in it, but there's a quite a variety, but genetics is a big part of it. And just because someone has a curved spine, does it mean they have scoliosis? Well, scoliosis is defined by a curvature of what we call in the frontal plane. So basically from shoulder to shoulder in that lateral plane of your body, meaning that your side bent one direction or your side bent the other direction from below. It's kind of like an S curvature rather than if you're just kind of hunched over forward. Technically, we don't call that curvature scoliosis. It has a, a different defining characteristic. Um, so the lateral curvature of the spine is usually what's defined as, as scoliosis. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the spine can revert with therapy? Yeah, therapy can definitely help uh, reduce scoliosis, especially when it's mild, um, and prevent it from progressing for sure. Cool. Yeah. Give us a couple other ways that PT is beneficial to our body that we may not have thought about yet that's not on that list. 
Um, let me see. How about here. my baloney patch on top of my head? This bald spot here. <laughs> no, no. Luck. I don't think we can help with regenerating <laughs> hair growth, but um, we definitely work on head and neck pain, headaches. Um, it can be very effective. I'm certified in doing dry needling, which is an acupuncture technique. It works fabulous for um, reducing muscle spasms, headaches, um, nerve pain. Um, we also do. Uh, we have mechanical traction here in our office, which works very good for getting rid of people's like sciatica, um, extremity pain, basically radiating pain, numbness, tingling, traveling down the arms or the legs from a compressed disc in their spine. Um, we have an aquatic therapy pool here in our office, so that's kind of a luxury. Um, usually I tell my patients that if you're struggling doing something on land, um, a lot of people get discouraged because it's uncomfortable and it's painful and that obviously um, discourages them from performing the exercises. If I can put them in an environment where they can do pain-free movement or reduced pain movement, they get encouraged, they feel better, they start moving earlier on and they again they just move towards positive outcomes quicker. The nice thing about the pool is it's heated so it helps a lot with muscle, muscle spasms, um, it relaxes patients that have anxiety or pain. Um, it's also when you're submerged in the water, you're floating. So you have the effect of buoyancy, which unloads your joints. So if you're dealing with fracture care, we can start putting weight on extremities that have been fractured earlier. Um, if you're dealing with patients that have disc issues or com degenerative disc or compressed disc issues in their back or their neck, floating actually decompresses those. So it actually puts them in an environment where they can move and get less, less pain in their back, less nerve compression symptoms down their extremities. And then the last part of the pool, why it's so beneficial is I don't have to guess on the weight what I think you can tolerate. I can tell you in the pool, if you move slow, it's very easy and gentle. If you move quicker, it's more challenging and more resistance. So again, patients can start easy, moving slow, and as they feel better, they naturally want to move faster. Our pool has current like a river, so as they get better and they're feeling good, I can make it increasing the tension of the flow of the river, just like giving them more weights and resistance and kind of build them up. As they start feeling better and getting stronger, we bring them out of the pool and start back kind of to the next phase of working on land and gym therapy. Again, working on range of motion, strengthen, and ultimately to function. No, you really do have a state-of-the-art facility. When I walked in the front door, you, you first of all, we, I was greeted by the receptionist, Annie, real friendly person. Uh, you have everything here. Yeah, Except absolutely. the junior suites. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could, you could literally spend uh, a week here, you know, and going through all the different exercises and, and the pool, and it's a great facility. So you're doing a great job. Let me ask you this. So as you know, this show is all about providing information for inspiration. So as we begin to wrap things up here, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk a few minutes about the philosophy that you've built your career upon. Sure. So start off when, you said back when you were a kid. Yeah, early on, I really started looking at physical therapy maybe in high school. Um, I was, like I said, really active. Uh, most people get introduced to physical therapy, fortunately or unfortunately, through an injury. Uh, we have a lot of people that come to us, have gone through therapy, and then they want to come back and they have questions about, how did you get into physical therapy? Because they see the environment, they like the feel of it, they like the interacting of, of the gym, um, and so they want to know more about it to kind of get into that career. Um, so we encourage everybody and we offer a little shadowing program so if anybody's interested in seeing what physical therapy is about we allow them to come in hang out with us for you know an hour to a day depending on their time frame and how much their interest is and just see what it's like get the feel of it what we do on a day in and day out basis um so yeah. what separates a job from a fulfilling career in your opinion well, to me, a job is you're there eight to five and your really priority is the, the money you're making and the time. So you're looking at the clock when it's time for you to go home. 
to me, when it comes to a fulfilling career, you kind of forget about the time clock and you're there to kind of engage and help people. I think that's really the the passion that I have for physical therapy is it fits my personality. I'm a person of service, meaning I like to help people. And it's very rewarding for me to be able to help people. And so I feed on that and I want to, the more I can help them, the better. Um, and so to me, the, the passion of that is just getting to interact with people, hearing their stories, walking them through the process, educating them, and then seeing the process come to fruition and seeing the outcomes or their, their symptoms improve and they can get back to the sport um, where they were before or a lot of times even better because now they're stronger, they're more flexible, they're not dealing with that little nagging injury. So That's great because there's parents listening to this podcast right now who have a, maybe a child ready to graduate this year or soon and is looking for a rewarding career. This has been for you for the last uh, 18 or 20 years. Yeah, it's extremely rewarding and it fits a lot of different personalities. So obviously ours is more of an outpatient sports setting. Um, but the nice thing about physical therapy is if you're not a sports person, um, then you can work in a hospital setting. You can work at a nursing home. You can work in a school setting. You can work as a home health physical therapist. You can work in a nursing home. You can work with pediatric children. So there's a huge diversity of different areas that physical therapy covers. And so I think you naturally gravitate towards the area of the field that fits your personality the best. Um, but they're all extremely rewarding because at the end of the day, you get to help people. Um, you get to know them on a one-on-one one personal level. Um, a lot of times we get to spend more time with them than the doctor. You know, they may see their doctor 10, 15 minutes every six weeks to two months. We get to see them two or three times a week for an hour to an hour and a half. Um, so you truly get to know people and, and learn about not only their life and what's going on with them, but the issues that they're dealing with. You sleep well at night knowing you're making a difference in somebody's life. Yeah, I bet you do. Good. I bet it does. So the three things you have yet to accomplish in your career life. Oh, geez. For me, a, a big one was opening our private practice. Um, so uh, we opened that, like we talked about, in 2002. Uh, we expanded into this facility about eight years ago um, when we wanted to add the pool, and we were just outgrowing our other facility. Um, and so things that I want to accomplish, um, we may open a satellite clinic in the future. Um, I don't ever want to be too many clinics. I really want to feel for having a, a hand in each location um, just because I think that's where the quality comes in. Um, and that's always been my focus more on giving the patient the care that they need rather than having multiple sites and, and kind of a business model. So um, that would be probably my first goal. Um, second goal would just be life and work management. It's easy to get wrapped up in work when you're a person of service and you want to help people and you're doing that on a daily basis um, and trying to run a practice and see patients. And so just managing that balance so I have plenty of time to, to spend with my wife and my children and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and third is just be p planning for retirement. I mean, I'm still young. I'm 43, but at the same time, you always kind of want to look towards the future. Uh, I think I'll always be involved in patient care. I do get a lot of reward out of that. Um, I do like working with students uh, for the colleges here in Arizona. There's three of them. Um, physical therapy is a it's a seven year program. You have to go through a four year undergraduate and then you apply to a graduate school and it's additional three years to get your doctoral degree. In that third year, almost all the schools have to the students have to go through an internship process. And so they use all the clinics around the state to to facilitate those internships. And so we have a student internship program. And so I really like doing the education part of it and having students come in. It keeps you fresh. It keeps you thinking about why you do the things you do, um, explaining not only disease processes, but also progression of exercise and why we again, why we do the things we do at certain times of rehab. 
Um, and so that's a very rewarding get to work with those students. And then you see them graduate and move out into the field. And, and so I, I definitely could see myself moving into the education part a little more than the treatment side. That's neat, man. And before we let you go, tell the folks how they can get a hold of you. Website? Yeah, well, we're here located in Anthem, Arizona, um, and uh, we have a website. It's Harper Physical Therapy. Uh, we always offer free injury screenings, um, and wherever you are, a lot of local clinics will do that. So don't be bashful. A lot of people think, though, if I sign up for physical therapy, I'm going to be there for six months. That's not always the case. So um, we offer a free injury screening program. You can call, come in, we sit down. It's free of charge. Uh, we spend five or 10 minutes visiting about your condition, letting you know if we think physical therapy might be a good case or route for you, or if you need to go see a doctor, get testing. So again, it's more just free advice. A lot of times we'll give them a free exercise program to get them started. Um, and then I usually tell people, if you're doing great, good, keep going. If you're struggling, then we might need to do some physical therapy. And obviously we're here to help you. Um, so it's just a way to meet people and again, reach out, give them something of value. And I truly believe that um, they appreciate that. And in the future, if they or their loved ones need physical therapy, they'll remember us. Um, so the website's easy. Our phone number's uh, here in Anthem, 623-742-7338. Uh, we also are on Facebook at Harper Physical Therapy. You can follow us there. I'm always trying to post um, things of interest that we see here in the clinic. Also, general health and wellness topics, uh, things like that. So if you follow us on there, you'll get some good information. Awesome. And if your time and schedule permits, we'd love to have you back as a guest at another time to share some more insight. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed having your class act, man. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye. -bye now. Bye.